You are now listening to the Rogue Social Worker Podcast. Hey everybody, it's Kate here. Um, just wanted to check in. I just spent the last, let's see, it's Tuesday now. I spent the last, uh, basically since Thursday, uh, was it Thursday night? Um, Thursday night, all of Friday, and when I, when I say all, I mean at least 12 hours. So some nights I was working 15 hours, some nights I was working 16, some 12. So, uh, yeah. So we had Thursday night, all of Friday, all of Saturday, all of Sunday, and all of Monday at the, uh, student rental roommate situation in Delhi, New York, and uh, I put down some some laminate flooring because the carpets were disgusting. Just, I don't, I don't know how long they had been on there, but they were just horrible smell. <laughs> Fucking house. And so I, you know, put down in a, a good sized room, probably about 300 square feet uh, room, like a living room slash dining room area put down laminate in there also put down uh same laminate in the attached uh abutting hallway which is a pretty long hallway um and I had never done it before my hands feel like big giant marshmallows I have a callus on my toe and like on the part of my toe I've never had a callus before. It's weird. I don't know. My knees feel like marshmallows also. And um I feel fucking great. Feels so good. Um so I don't know how many I guess that was like close to let's see Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, probably over 80 hours of doing this because I <laughs> pretty much the first day and a half I was just struggling struggling with this fucking laminate um because I just didn't know how to do it and then once I got the hang of it it went a little bit quicker I think I did the the hallway in about a day but I know this is all boring stuff but I wanted to document it because um (laughs) you know when I first started recording it was was it May wow wait was it May when I left uh, my last job, LifeWorks, um, that was my very first recording, I believe, and that was only a couple months ago. Uh, I think I can't remember how many properties I had then, but over the last few months, it's added up to about seven or eight properties, and um, they're finally going to be rented out, uh, which means I have. Up until this point, I have drained my bank accounts. One of them is now overdrawn. It's never really good with numbers, um, which is funny because, you know, there's just so many parts of running a business that I have no clue what I'm doing. I don't know how to put in laminate flooring. Um, you know, I, I can only really do very basic math, um, you know, like a, a cash flow budget. I, it's hard to wrap my head around because all of this stuff, 
the coming and going of money can be so unpredictable. Uh, what I've learned is that you never really know when you're getting that check. You can sort of expect within the, you know, one uh, or two or maybe three months when a big chunk of money is coming in, but you rely on that money. I rely on that money. Oh my God, dude, can you just let me get over so you can pass me? Since you're very, I see you're very anxious to go forward. Okay. Um, sorry, this, uh, that's a Tesla behind me. Anyway, but yeah, you never really know when money is uh, going to come in. Fairly, you know, fairly certain of when it's going to go out because everything's sort of on a schedule. Uh, you know, sending people, sending the, the sellers their money because I think all of these houses are buying on terms. Meaning, uh, I didn't go through a bank. I set up an agreement with the seller, and I basically pay them every month um, as either rent-to-own specialist or as uh, the buyer myself doing um, owner financing. They're financing it for me instead of going to a bank. So, with the owner financing properties, I've really had to, like the one I was just at in Delhi, I've had to fix it up. Um, and, you know, as much as everything is in working condition, um, <laughs> you know, I was... I was thinking, I, I had a conversation, I think, with the owner that said he, you know, accusing other people in, in the town of being a slumlord for the students, but the amount of work and the, the type of condition that this property was in, I didn't feel good about it. So I was kind of just laughing at myself, like, what do these other properties look like if this isn't, you know, sort of a slummy, air, uh, slummy house? Um, but I, I didn't I didn't feel good about renting it out with a disgusting rug in there, carpets everywhere. Um, I I also didn't want to put down like linoleum because I didn't want to have to just deal with that floor again. If I had time now, I wanted to do it now. Um, so yeah, this is probably really boring, but um, this is what's going on. So. Yeah, the owner financing stuff I've had to pour a lot of money into and I've had to, I've just been spending a lot of time at the houses, working on them, painting, scraping, sanding, um, demoing certain things. Um, and I'm just, I'm just running out of money until I get tenants in there. Um, so, you know, I, <laughs> I never wanted to to fundraise or to ask people for loans because I didn't want to be on the hook to anybody. So now we're on the, uh, the visa plan. We're on the, um, the loans from, from visa and, uh, or Capital One, I guess. And, uh, so I'm going to be just maxing that out. But then when it rains, it pours because, you know, we've been waiting for this job to start. I took an, uh, a day job, 30 hours a week, because I knew I was running out of money. It was dwindling, you know, within the last month, month and a half. Whoa, what is that? Ooh, cool. It's 
just a giant bird flew over the highway. Um, so I did want to take the day job and I even increased the hours. Uh, I think I, I did a before and after recording uh, for the, the day I went to the interview uh, with a good friend of mine. I guess it really wasn't an interview, more of like, here's the, here are the terms of this job. Um, here's the timeline and and because the money I guess was stuck in some in some bureaucratic uh, cog in the in the government machine um, I, I don't I don't really know I, I don't really care because it's all it's all just bullshit and it's the same it's the same shit why I'm getting out of that game long term um, but because this is such good money in the short term, um, I did want to take them up on it. And now, luckily, because the government is so uh, slow and bloated and stupid, uh, now they're going to be paying me more for less work. So that's great. I get more value. Uh, they have to spend this money. You know, whether, whether, you know, I don't think they even want the money, the agency for what we're doing. Oh my god, truck. Pick a fucking lane, dude. Pick a fucking... Oh my god. Um, but, but, you know, they're not gonna just turn it down when they could get at least a little bit of work out of it. Um, I mean, it just, uh... Yeah. So, anyway. So they have to spend the money, I think, by the end of September. Hopefully that's all it is. Hopefully I do less work for more money. Um, and that basically just goes into the real dream because, you know, whatever they're doing over there is just not, it's just not amounting to much of anything. Um, and what I mean by that is the job that I'm doing with them for the next two months is called SOAR. Uh, you know, we pay, we pay at least in this instance, and, you know, this is an exception because most of these jobs don't pay this much. But we do. We pay salaries anywhere between, you know, benefits included, say, you know, $40,000 and $70,000 per person to do one to two sore cases, um, I believe, every month. That's kind of the rolling schedule one to two per month on an average. Um, they do get a high a high rate of acceptance. Now, SOAR is, is basically uh, outreaching to people who are homeless or at risk of homelessness and are disabled, preferably a sort of slam dunk disabled where there's no question about uh, their disability where you, you just have to show a judge or a doctor or, or the examiner, disability examiner, uh, their disabilities and they say, yes, obviously this person has a disability, they're either sleeping outside or they're couch surfing or whatever, or they're recently in housing and, um, you know, yes, we're going to give them now $750 a month. Okay, so think about that. $750 a month in, I should add, to be fair, another perk of being labeled disabled by the federal government is you get, without question, you get to be on these disability housing lists. 
So when you go and look in the subsidized list, there are three different categories. You're either on the family list, which is just either any individual or family, regardless of disability or age. So that's one category. Second category is elderly, 60, I believe 65 plus or 62. I can't, I'm, I might be mixing that up with just the um, SSDI retirement age. But, um, so that's the second category is elderly. You can get on these lists to, to get your apartment subsidized or go into a, a development that's been subsidized. So, and the third one is, is having a disability. So you can also get onto a list if you have SSI, SSDI payments, um, which you got because a judge or, or a disability examiner from the government or a doctor works for the government says, yes, you have a disability, yes, you qualify for disabled housing, yes, you get now, you know, anywhere from $650 a month to if you, if you racked up SSDI payments from working for however many years or decades, you know, you can also get SSDI, which is, which is more because you've put more into the, into the system. You paid more of these taxes, but SSI is really just anywhere from $650 a month to, you know, at the most, I think I've seen maybe $770 or $800 a month, which nobody could live on. Okay. Let's just be clear about that in this, in this world that we live in at least in Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Connecticut, in this area of the, of the earth, of the United States. Um, I don't know anybody. I guess, I, guess, I guess the only other way you could do that is by sharing an apartment with a number of people um, and eat nothing but, you know, ramen. Um, but, but to have a, a good quality of life, and, and of course now, you know, Obamacare is just recent. So if we didn't have Obamacare, you also have that $800 a month or $700 a month spent towards your medical expenses, um, or you just go into humongous amount of debt. So just now that we've got that, that, that settled, um, what SOAR does is they pay, you know, somebody and and actually let's go back to the housing for a second so not only do you get in the ballpark of 750 800 dollars a month um once you get ssi slash ssdi but you also get access to get on a list for disability housing now i want to talk about the pitfalls of this type of housing, which we've all witnessed in some way, shape, or form, we just may not have thought it through all the way, uh, the root causes of it. So, you know, I don't know if you've ever searched for an apartment with a realtor or a house, and they, you know, sometimes they might say, well, well, there's public housing uh, less than three blocks from this house, so I don't know if you really want to live in this area, it can be kind of shady, it can be kind of dangerous, and, you know, understandably so. Fine. Even if we accept that premise, 
why did that happen? Are there bad people living there? Are, are disabled and elderly and poor people bad people? No, they're not. You have a concentration of anywhere from 50 to, you know, 300 families or individuals who are impoverished, who, ha who don't have enough, all living in one building. What do you think was going to happen if you put men, women, and children who have close to nothing, uh, who go to shitty-ass schools, the kids, who work a shitty-ass job that doesn't pay the bills, um, or, or they're disabled, and you stick them all into one big, giant apartment building, and you, you, you sit back and see what happens. We all know what the fuck happens, all right? And this, this is my, I think one of my biggest issues with this setup is that you're concentrating poverty. You're not giving an easy uh, way out. Once you have that Section 8 voucher, or, you know, say if you're a family, or, or you know, somebody who's low income, basically, because that's, that's what you get. You get um, from the government these Section 8 vouchers, which guarantees that as long as you stay under a certain income, your rent will be paid all but 30% of your monthly income. So say you make $1,000 a month because say you have both SSI and SSDI and you are living in an apartment that, uh, that would normally cost, you know, $800 a month. Well, instead of your rent payment being in accordance with where you have chosen to live, and keep in mind you haven't actually had the freedom or the liberty or the empowerment to choose where you live because you're constrained by your either lack of income or your disability, so you've had the, you have these small uh, variation, very little variation, almost no options to choose from in terms of where you live. You have a handful of, of basically slums um, in a lot of cases, and at the best cases, you're, you're just living in concentrated poverty with a bunch of other poor people, okay? So you have very little choice as to where you live. Um, so, so now that you've been stuck in one of these, these warehouses, poor people warehouses, basically, um, you now pay 30% of your income. So let's go back. Yes, you have $1,000 uh, a month of income. And so $300 a month goes to your rent. And, you know, that's a pretty good deal. $300 a month, you can't beat that for, say, a one-bedroom apartment. Now, if you, uh, you know, 30% is a universally accept, uh, not accept, federally accepted uh, amount of, of uh, money 
that you should be paying towards your housing. According to the federal government, everybody, no matter whether you make $1,000 a month or $4,000 a month, the federal government says you should not be spending uh, more than 30% of your income, your monthly income, on housing. So instead of... Um, you know, giving people, see, what happens when you're in trouble with money, and we've all experienced this, is a lot of the times it's short term, and you don't want to be stuck there forever, but by, by telling people that you, uh, if, if, uh, you know, the more money you make, well, you still don't have the option to live anywhere because it's legal to discriminate. Landlords can say, I don't take Section 8 vouchers, or I will not comply with the um, inspection standards of the government, so I will not take Section 8 vouchers. Um, you, you can legally discriminate against people with them. And, and you're, you're essentially, in terms of your income, uh, any, no matter what amount you make, $1,000 a month, $4,000 a month, spending 30% no matter what. Now, if we're all supposed to be spending uh, 30% of our income on housing, then why, I mean, how, how are you going to get out of the cycle of somebody paying the, the remainder of your rent so, say, okay, say you bump up your income to $1,500 a month, or let's make it even, let's say it's 1800 bucks a month, so now your rent goes up to 600 The more you make, the more you pay. Now, once you get sort of above uh, a certain income, you have a choice in 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 regular in the regular private sector. For example, um, you know somebody who makes five thousand dollars a month can choose to live in an apartment or a house that only costs thousand dollars a month. So that's twenty percent. Not 30% of your income, but in order to get there from somebody in the standpoint of being subsidized for a long period of time with no easy, simple, clear way out, um, I mean, it's a recipe for, for disaster. You're basically saying, um, you know, we're going to give you no real incentive because it is so hard to become, to start as a person who makes $1,500 a month, um, you know, and this I'm just talking about Section 8, I'm not talking about people with disabilities, I mean, maybe some people, and that's a whole other discussion, is getting off of uh, SSI and going back to work, because that is just, is just um, nearly, I mean, the barriers are, are so high for that. But what I'm talking about is just Section 8. Um, it's basically like a lottery ticket. that you, You've won the lottery. You've 
won the housing lottery. So the federal government subsidizes instead of instead of incentivizing you to go back into the free market and uh, be a, a participant in supply and demand, regular old supply and demand. You have this the government subsidize your rent and they won't cover more than a certain amount depending on what area you're in so it has to be like the median uh the median uh housing payment for any specific town and i think they do the one thing they do with these subsidies is they do incentivize people to move to nicer areas with better school districts problem is if you're already low income chances are you don't have a car you're moving away from your family and your friends and the people you know uh, quite possibly moving further away from your job which you got um, you know in the inner city or, or somewhere that you don't need a car um, and they want you to move out into the suburbs of the country where you absolutely need a car and you don't have one so that's flawed um, but but what kills me and I'm getting way off topic here I'm going on a tangent um, but but all of this is to say that there's 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 a couple of um, advantages to getting these disability payments through the SOAR program one is you get 800 bucks a month ballpark the other is you get on these disabled housing lists which are nearly impossible to break free from if your if your disability is um, you know not permanent so say you have you know some sort of long-term ailment and it has to be long-term because it has to last two years I believe um, and in order to get disability which is crazy because two years of a short-term illness will destroy your life you can go bankrupt, you can lose your job, you can become homeless. I mean, most people, it doesn't take that fucking long, right? So, um, first of all, you know, they, they, they make you, you know, make sure you're really, really disabled and really fucking close to homelessness and death before you can even apply for long-term disability. Because Lord knows there is... The, the short-term disability, I think, is about 65% of, uh, of your current income, I think, when I did it. And that nearly wiped us out, too. So, um, basically, uh, the government, your taxes, um, and any sort of private donations that are tax-deductible, so a.k.a. your taxes... Um, are going to agencies like the one I'm going to temporarily work for um, to, uh, in, in most cases, generally speaking, anywhere between 40 grand and 70 grand a year uh, to help, let's see, if, if you help two people every month get on disability uh, for 12 months, so that's 24 people who now get a measly $800 a month, generally speaking, and they get the chance, <laughs> a once-in-a-lifetime chance, of being on a disabled, subsidized housing list. 
where they can be warehoused in uh, concentrated poverty, sometimes in dangerous neighborhoods, let's face it, a lot of the times in danger, dangerous neighborhoods because of this concentrated poverty. It's not because anybody's a bad person, but this is what the system is set up to do. And um, so to me, while it's putting money in my pocket for the next couple of months, um, you know, it is, this is a really good example of even when you have good people working on the, uh, the project, you know, and it's, it's sort of like nursing homes. I was just listening to, uh, Reply All, this guy who, who says, you know, well, the nurses, the CNAs, um, all of these people, they're good, hardworking people, but the system is set up so that there is, there is very little room to grow. There's very little room for improvement. It's just getting people their very basic needs met so that they have somewhere to sleep and somewhere to eat and survive. Not thrive, not grow, not change, not develop into becoming the people that they want to be or happy or any, any sort of positive uh, human uh, characteristics. It just doesn't happen. They're, they're just warehouses. And, you know, you might say, oh, well, that depends on what the person wants and blah, blah, blah. These people are coming from nothing. They're, and, and they're happy to get it. Um, but what are we really setting up people for when we're bringing them either off the street or people who are newly in housing um, and we're giving them basically table scraps 800 bucks a month so let's let's do the math on that so if we have one caseworker doing two cases a month and this is conservatively this is 24 people a year 24 times let's see see now I have to get out my calculator but basically you're, you're helping 24 people to get these measly benefits that don't really help them in the long run become anything more than just uh, surviving in concentrated poverty. Um, and then on top of it, if they even have a caseworker, caseworkers probably incompetent or overworked or uh, some type of maybe even abusive. I mean, I've seen that plenty of times um, or bigoted. So that's that's kind of where I'm at where I'm, I'm gonna be doing that for two months but this I've taken this job to get the cash bring it back so to bring it full circle now back to the beginning of this talk today is it's all for the bigger purpose of paying these bills not knowing where my next paycheck is going to come from um, and it, within the last 48 hours, I found out that, oh yeah, finally, the, the government actually sent over the check that they were supposed to send almost eight months ago to this agency to do, to, to hire contractors, me and others like me, to do these sore cases, short-term, temporary. Oops. And so, 
Um, that happened. I got that phone call or text within the last 48 hours. And then uh, when it rains, it pours. Because I got uh, another text from a seller who I was waiting to hear from because they needed to find a house in order to move in order for our buyer to move in um, and put the down payment down. So I got that text from him and that's that's a $10,000 check right there. That's amazing. Um, and so we got that and I think I'm getting like a thousand bucks a week for uh, for the sore cases, which will put me back in the black and I'm gonna have tenants moving in on August uh, 13th, maybe, 15th? Possibly, possibly the 13th, if I can get my shit together before then. Um, and I have a first rent payment coming in from uh, the house in Wales that I think I started telling you about quite a few months ago. And uh, so, so I guess, you know, it's working out, thank goodness. I, I knew, I mean, when I buy these houses, I know that eventually they will turn a profit, a good profit. Now, you know, what do they say? Um, the cap rate. So the cap rate is, oh God, I can't remember the exact definition, but basically my cap rate in my head is when you deduct things like taxes, utilities, maintenance, um, you know, and those are, those are big umbrellas, or maintenance is a big umbrella. So all the things that fall under maintenance, and you still make at, at least a certain percentage net. So, uh, they all have good cap rates once they're up and running, um, once the kids move in, so the student rental, but in the meantime, there was a lot of little things that added up. And I know everybody always underestimates the maintenance piece and just how I mentioned that the umbrella is big for maintenance, like filthy carpets. Uh, paint is really expensive. There's hideous paint on the wall. I was just gonna touch it up at the student rental, but it's, I mean, touch up, if I were to touch it up, I'd basically be using an entire can of paint. So I might as well just get a better color if I'm going to paint the whole the whole room, you know, and there are multiple rooms that are like this, where it's just fucking, just nasty shit all over the walls, like, just scuffs and streaks and fingerprints and, you know, things I need to spackle and sand, um, so there's all these little things that added up, um, you know, of course mechanical issues that that surprise, you know, the toilet just stopped, stopped working or started, in this case, at the student house, spraying everywhere out of the tank uh, into my face, onto the floor. I have no idea what I'm looking at, so I have to get my plumber up here, and he lives a couple hours away. Um, he is right now the only one I trust to do that. So uh, until I find somebody in the area, uh, it's a matter of scheduling this stuff and, of course, paying for it. So, um, I just wanted to give that update because, you know, things have been going great. Um, and then, and then I looked at my bank account and I was like, I have no more money. And I think my car payment just came out and now I'm like $600 overdrawn. 
Um, but at the same time, things are really going well because I'm about to get a $10,000 check and start a job that's like a thousand bucks a week and, um, you know, uh, and start renting to people who are going to pay me, uh, who are going to pay me every month to rent an apartment or a room. So I just wanted to check in and I really appreciate you listening to this journey. It is so interesting. Um, I guess the other update I have, uh, which I, I don't know if I talked about yet on the podcast, but uh, yet again, another uh, soon-to-be homeless person who had been housed through an agency that will be remain unnamed, um, you know, contacted me uh, saying, you know, she didn't really know what to do. Um, she had a job for a while that paid her well. She was um, mailing in money orders to the agency that held the voucher. <clears throat> and, um, you know, they just never got them. And so instead of... Now, this is all, of course, her side of the story. I haven't spoken to them. I have no interest in speaking to them because, you know, I just don't trust them. Um, but, you know, she, she lived in a house that, was, that had no bathroom light for months. Uh, a house that had that was infested with bed bugs and roaches, and uh, had moved in to uh, this apartment with a heater that was giving off carbon monoxide. Great, great stuff. And and so you know she finally she had had a good job, um, and she was paying you know I think somewhere around three to four hundred bucks a month. Um, because her income went up. So like I described earlier, when your income goes up, your rent goes up. And um, the voucher that she had, that she has, uh, is called Shelter Plus Care. So not only is it a subsidy for your rent, but inextricably attached to that, that subsidy is the promise of an agency to provide services for that person in order to keep the person in housing. Now, I, I want to add too that I, when I first met this person and I was her case manager, um, I, I kind of was taken aback a little bit um, because the program was meant, at least from what I had understood, it was meant to serve people who were uh, in the worst of the worst conditions. So people who were closest to death. Now this is before the vulnerability index was around. This was just because I learned what housing first was and I was trying to implement it as a fucking lowly case manager under the thumb of, of these, uh, you know, corporate bureaucrats who don't really give a shit about helping the neediest. Um, but I was just, you know, naively trying to implement what I knew was housing first, and um, and that's to serve the people who need it the most. Now I was hesitant to uh, to encourage my manager to house this person because she wasn't even she wasn't that needy. Um, I mean, I guess she appeared that way to me at first. She had been living in a van for about a year. She had been sober. I can't even remember what her substance of choice was. Um, 
but oh yeah this is why I haven't talked about this before because I'm gonna have her on the show and tell her own story but essentially I, I just wanted to say um, that I, I, I didn't even want to house her because I didn't think she was needy enough she was young you know and fairly good health aside from you know being newly sober and kind of beat up from from substance use and um and so that was like four years ago she got her kid back from dcyf she had jobs on and off but basically she had been sending in these money orders um and being seen almost never by a case manager now usually if a money order or some kind of rent payment uh doesn't show up (laughs) this falls into the category of case management or somebody who's in charge of that case manager to tell the case manager to say, hey, client, Mr. or Mrs. Client, um, we didn't get a rent payment this month. Uh, just wondering uh, what happened. Um, and if, if, you're, if everything's good or if everything's not good, like, let's talk. And that is, that is the magical service that should have been provided after that first couple of weeks when supposedly they did not get her rent payment uh, via mail money order. So that did not happen. Uh, She kept sending in money orders every month for four or five months. Never happened. Month after month, they never went over to say, hey, what's going on? Where's the rent? Um, Let's figure this out. So, you know, a year, you know, after this happens, then the house starts falling apart. The thing gets infested uh, with bed bugs and cockroaches. Nobody does anything about it. Um, there's drug dealers living in the uh, apartments next door. She's she's living there with her 12-year-old daughter. Um, and nobody is calling her back. She leaves message after message, text after text. Um, and, and now it's almost, I think, over a year later and we're going to court she uh she reached out a while back so uh, you know basically uh, more focused on the fact that she wasn't sleeping in her room because it had been taken over by bed bugs and and so we addressed that by calling rhode island housing and getting an inspection done and they got flagged surprise surprise two months later um, there's a summons on, on her front door saying, you are being evicted. After a year of this going on, it only took them two months to retaliate uh, <clears throat> for that inspection. Now, uh, that date may or may not be coming up because nobody told her at the last court date uh, when the next one was. She told them she didn't have any money. Um, she did fill out the paperwork to to check off the retaliation box because apparently this happens so often that they just make it part of the court uh, eviction paperwork. So, um, I will be going to that with her. I've written a nice four or five page letter documenting Uh, in detail, kind of what I just gave you an overview of. I'm going to try my best to get her on the show because she could tell it best herself. 
Um, but it just it just makes me absolutely insane to see somebody who is so easy to deal with, so easy to talk to, so easy to work with, um, to be completely ignored and um, and now possibly made homeless again. They're they're trying, they're trying. But um, it's it's amazing. It just blows me away. It's just another example of why. Um, you know, I'm going to do my best to create another system uh, in order to shed light on this one and uh, hopefully bring it down. Because it's, uh, you know, I wrote in one of the last papers, uh, I, I think it was like a, one of these journal entries that we did in the master's program, School of Social Work. And, uh, you know, we had a fairly young, fairly radical dude teaching the class. Um, and, and I just remember writing in one of these papers, like, I, I was in the thick of, of working at the Providence Center, and I just remember being so disgusted that I, I wrote here, um, you know, I don't think this is, this is even worth saving. I think we need to burn it down. Like, figuratively speaking, we need to put an end to this. Let's destroy it, start over. And that's what I intend to do. Um, obviously not destroy it because I have no <clears throat> no real power of doing that. But I think if enough people get this message that um, hopefully some attention will be brought to it. And you'll see how your tax dollars are being wasted on services and housing that, that don't work. Um, to barely serve people who, um, who have so much potential and have so much to give back to the community. They want to. Um, and they just want to have a good life. Just like everybody else, try and improve themselves, try and make some, some money, uh, try and take care of their kids, maybe go back to school. Um, and, and it's really that simple. Um, so that's, again, another, another pillar of why I'm doing what I'm doing, because I'm so sick of seeing uh, the system just continuously, consistently fail all types of people. You know, I used to, it used to not surprise me to see people on the street, back out on the street who were difficult to deal with. But then you see somebody like the person I just told you about, who is such a pleasure to work with. Um, and, and everybody needs help from time to time, especially with complicated things like like writing checks and paying rent and making sure it goes to the attention of the right person wherever you're sending it. Um, you know, if that's all she needed, then why the fuck didn't she get it? And, uh, you know, it's not like she was going to throw things at you when you went in the apartment. Um, you know, there are people who might do that, but that she wasn't one of them. So it went from me being, you know, a little less can uh, a little more can sorry it went from me being uh, not surprised seeing people with behavioral issues severe behavioral issues uh, back out on the street after being housed because the, the social service people just did not want to deal with them um, but now now it's it's almost more infuriating because it's people who are so incredibly easy to work with. And, and once again, uh, you know, the 
social service agencies have failed. Um, now, hopefully, we can scare them. Um, going to be emailing a lawyer from the Center for Justice down, down in Providence to see if they can offer any help in filing any legal documents or paperwork because I'm not a lawyer but I sure can do the footwork. I can fill out I can fill out paperwork till the cows come home and I can write a damn good letter uh, that will hopefully highlight the illegality of what they're doing and how they did not live up to their end of the bargain um, with this Shelter Plus Care Voucher. So I am happy, I am more than happy of being honored to enlighten the judge to write, um, to, to give him or her this letter and, uh, and fill out whatever paperwork is needed, but hopefully the Center for Justice can, can just provide a body, uh, a lawyer who's been to law school and passed the bar exam, who can stand up there and say, Your Honor, um, this is what we're presenting, and then hand them whatever I've written. So, and whatever, uh, the client has written because she had also written some things but I'm gonna try and get her on here to tell her story herself because I'm I've left out many many details gory details that only she can tell um, obviously she deserves to tell it herself but um, that's another that's another update and another pillar uh, to support uh, my reasoning for doing what I'm doing and so I, I really appreciate you listening um, if you know somebody who would enjoy uh, hearing these, these rants and raves about the social service industry, about, about the social work philosophy, um, any, any radical thoughts really about, about trying to change the world and make it a better place and doing it uh, realistically and pragmatically, um, I would love to hear from you. So... Uh, once again, thank you, and I will uh, talk to you guys soon.